It's lovely to hear the buzz uh, in the room of people saying hi to one another. Um, it's great. It's great to have you all with us. If you want to grab a seat, just get yourself comfortable. There's a few spaces. If you are at the back and you'd like to come forward, you're, you're welcome. Just got a couple of seconds to come and do that. Um, it's, it's my privilege in a moment to introduce Dr. Lizzie Ling, who's going to speak to us on the subject of abortion today. Um, as you may know, if you've been part of our church family, we try and speak on this uh, at least once a year as a church, and we, we like to do that as a Sunday event, because we know that most people will probably hear it if we do this on a Sunday, because that's the main way that people engage with us as a church, because it's a really important issue. But we do try to deal with this as best we can, graciously, sensitively, full of love, knowing that we're all sinners. We've all sinned sexually in some way. We're not out to get anybody today to make you feel condemned, as you're almost certainly going to hear shortly. Um, but we do want to speak on this important topic because we believe it's very close to God's heart and he cares deeply about the unborn, those who can't speak for themselves. He stirs us to, to speak for, to be a voice on their behalf. And so that's part of what this morning's all about. Um, uh, Dr. Lizzie Ling uh, is a doctor, been a GP, um, and has spent, I think, nearly a decade as well in South Africa helping um, churches and others respond to those who have HIV. She now is the Associate Minister for Women at St. Ebbs, um, which is an excellent, outstanding church in Oxford. Uh, I know that from having been there, and my sister has been a part of that church, so I know that kind of first-hand experience that this is a wonderful church. She's also the author of a book on abortion, um, which is a superb book, um, not least because it's clear to the point full of truth, but it's also really short, so uh, you don't have to spend ages reading it. We're selling it for £3 over there at the end of the service, and if you haven't read it or don't have it, I would really encourage you to get hold of it. But I'd just love for us to give a very, very warm welcome to Dr. Lizzie Ling as she comes up to speak to us now. Let's give her a big round of applause. Thank you. It's such a wonderful privilege to be here. Um, I just love it when I visit other churches. It feels like home when you land with a, another part of the body of Christ, doesn't it? And um, so it's great to be here. Um, yeah, this abortion, a sensitive issue, but also an important one. And as difficult as it is to talk about, we really must, and I hope you'll be convinced of that by the end of this morning if you're not already. I believe the Bible does speak to the rights and wrongs of abortion, but even more clearly, it speaks about the love of God for those who have been affected by it and by the complex issues that surround it. It speaks of the Lord's compassion. It speaks of his longing to comfort and forgive each one of us, including all those who wish they could have done life differently. And I reckon that pretty much includes each one of us. My hands up. The playing field here is level. And as we start, this one verse I want us to have ringing in our ears. First slide, please. <laughs> and it's here at the beginning of Romans chapter 8. And it goes like this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The playing field is level. Paul has just been talking before this verse about the way that no one is righteous, not even one. And now he says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, the, level, the playing field is still level. It just goes from here 
to hear. We are righteous instead of unrighteous. Let's keep this verse at the forefront of all our minds as we think about this issue this morning. And as we continue conversations beyond this morning, which is what I hope we'll do. So that's... So, to the top, so let's move to the topic in hand. I don't know if you're aware, but there are 800 abortions every working day in this country. 800 abortions, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And it's estimated by the age of 45 that one in three women will have had an abortion. And it's, an, it's not an, official, an issue that affects just the child and the mother. It affects fathers. It affects grandparents. It affects friends, men as well as women. So it's relevant for each and every one of us here today. And it's a big topic. Let me pray for us now, please, as we go, before we go any further. Father God, thank you so much for your great love for us seen above all in the Lord Jesus himself. We ask now for your spirit's help as we tackle this difficult issue together. Help us to understand what's going on, that we might respond appropriately. And teach us more about yourself and what it means for us to love and care for all that you have made, including the unborn child. Help us and heal us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what I thought I'd do this morning is divide um, uh, this section into three sections. So to start with, we're going to look at some facts and figures um, so that we know what's going on in the world around us. In the second section, we're going to look at some underlying reasons behind how we've got to where we have. Um, and then which will give us an indication of how we might think about responding in due course. And then we're going to look at a wonderful passage in the first chapter of Colossians to see how the Lord Jesus has got every aspect of this issue covered and it can be trusted at all times and in every way. So that's where we're going. Let's start now um, then with some background facts and figures. You might not realize, but abortion is illegal in this country. It's basically illegal, but provision is made for abortion to happen under certain circumstances and in certain conditions by the 1967 Abortion Act. We'll look at some of those situations in a moment, but suffice it to know at this stage that abortion is a legally regulated activity. And one of the things that uh, clinics and doctors have to do is to collect statistics, and these are published every year. So the government has published these statistics, and these are what we're going to look at. You can Google them. There are huge, great spreadsheets, um, but they do tell us what's going on. Let's have the next slide, please. Can you see, how can you see that? I think you should be able to get the general gist of that. Um, this first slide on the left here, it, along the bottom, you've got the year 2000, 2011, up to 2020. So the years are on the bottom and up the, up the side are the numbers of abortions. And you can see on this left-hand side, which represent the total number of abortions, that the number of abortions has been steadily increasing. And in fact, last year, it was more than it ever has been before there were very nearly 210,000 abortions in this country last year. On the first graph on the right, those figures are breaking, broken down a little bit. So they're looking particularly at um, abortions in the under 18s and abortions in the over 35s. And I wonder which you think is which. 
The graph on the decline is the under 18s. The graph on the incline and increasing is the over 35s. We'll come back. There's a reason behind this, and we'll come back to that in a minute. For a further breakdown of the numbers, you should know that 65% of abortions of those 210,000 are done in people who are over 25. Only 3% are done in the 18s. And nearly half of women have had one before. These are all government statistics. And as I said, by the age of 45, one in three women like me would have had an abortion. I don't know how these figures strike you, um, but often when we hear abortion spoken about, it's not this kind of thing we have in mind. Particularly when emotions are high and we hear very tragic stories in the press, we tend to think that abortion is for extreme cases, for rape or fetal abnormality, or to save the life of the mother. Maybe the woman you might have in mind is a vulnerable young teenager. Well, that's just not the case. Um, those situations are desperate, uh, but they represent a very tiny minority. So as I said, abortion is basically illegal in this country, but exceptions are made under certain conditions. And before an abortion is carried out, two doctors have to sign a form saying that in all good conscience, those conditions have been met. And here's the form. Next slide. You probably won't see the details of that, but all I want you to see is the A, B, C, D, E, and F. They have to ring the A, B, C, D, or F to dis explain exactly why they've said that abortion can ca be carried out. And we're going to have a little look at category C. Could you please put the next slide up? So this is a legal category. It's category C. And uh, you can read it there. The legal speak is that the pregnancy has not exceeded its 24th week and that the continuance of the pregnancy would involve risk greater than if the pregnancy were terminated of injury to the physical or mental health of the pre pregnant woman. So basically, it's saying that abortion becomes legal if two doctors agree that on the balance of probabilities, it's riskier to the physical or mental health of the mother to continue with the pregnancy than it is to have an abortion. And in 99.9% .9 of cases, it was the mental, not the physical health of the woman that was considered at risk. This is all highly subjective and means that category C is loose enough to allow for abortion on demand up to 24 weeks. And that's exactly what is happening. There are repeated political moves to remove this 24-week restriction or even decriminalise abortion completely so they may, there would be no need for doctors to sign or categories of any sort at all right up to term. Bills do come before Parliament regularly and we need to make sure that we're aware of them and that our voice is heard, but more on that too later. Other categories, we've had category C, but other categories already do provide for abortion right up to term beyond 24 weeks. For example, if a mother's life is at risk or there is substantial risk that the child would be born handicapped. Next slide. Um, so, and we're going to look at now category E, which is this box on the left. 2% of abortions uh, were for fetal abnormality. And um, 
those fetal abnormality can range from the very severe anencephaly, where the child develops without a brain and life outside the womb is impossible, to a cleft lift, lip and palate. I was surprised when I saw cleft lip and palate given as a reason for an abortion. I know children who've had that surgically treated very successfully. We've there's two in our church, and I'm sure many of you will too. But in the middle there is Down syndrome, and Down syndrome raises another issue for us. The number of children with Down syndrome, uh, uh, the number of children being born with Down syndrome is falling. In fact, in some countries, there aren't any children born with Down syndrome. Iceland is an example. And this is because there is a new early blood test being done in antenatal clinics that give the mother the probability of their child having Down syndrome. And based on a higher than average probability, which may still in fact be a relatively low probability, as we've all got used to probabilities in COVID, haven't we? So based on this higher than average probability, many are, many are deciding to have an abortion. And what is interesting is that these abortions do not show up in this category E. They would only show up in category E if they'd been fully diagnosed. Instead, they are hidden in that category C because the parents don't actually know for sure that their child has Down syndrome. They're just deciding to abort it and not take the risk that they do. Do you remember those graphs at the beginning? With the rising number of over 35s having abortions, this is the reason behind it. Because older women do have a higher than average probability of having a child with Down syndrome. It's still more likely that they won't. But when tests do raise concerns, these women are having abortions. This is scary. Because it means that as a society, we are in effect saying that we'd rather not have people with disabilities around. Whatever we say in public about inclusion and diversity, these are the private decisions that are being made. And it's the reason that abortion is often a very sensitive topic for people with disabilities. It's eugenics at work and it's evil. Of course, that's not to deny that having a child with a disability doesn't present huge challenges and that complex needs have to be made. It really isn't, but this is what's going on. So that's the first box on the left. The middle box, just very briefly, these two boxes. The one in the middle makes the point that abortions done to save the life of the mother are extremely rare. And the one on the, your right um, acknowledges that there is a complication rate, but as the government statistics themselves say, most of these are not reported because it depends on them happening in the clinic when most complications happen at home. And complication rates are very, um, what's the word, controversial. They depend on who you listen to. They depend on how the abortion is performed. It's a hotly contested area. It's passionate and political. But it is changing as the means of abortion is changing. Mercifully, things are getting a bit safer physically. Although psychological and emotional effects obviously remain. Next slide. When I was a GP, that was nearly 20 years ago now, most abortions were performed surgically, so under anaesthetic, and the child was removed manually or physically from the uterus. 
medical abortions were relatively rare, but that's changed a lot. And you can see from this slide again, the, the line that's increasing is the number of medical abortions. Um, and most women these days will, have, will take tablets to induce an abortion. Two tablets are taken um, a day or two apart. Uh, the first kill, uh, knocks off the pregnancy hormones, kills the fetus. The second causes the uterus to contract, so the fetus is expelled. There's no anaesthetic, and if done early, um, people can go home shortly after they've taken the tablets. The abortion then happens at home. Under normal circumstances, although the abortion can happen at home, the process is basically clinic-based and so regulated. But since COVID, and we need to know this, things have changed. New temporary legislation has been passed, which means that a pregnant woman can do all of this herself at home without going to the clinic. Telephone cons consultations suffice, and pills are put in the post. It's potentially very scary. It can be done in secret and without support. The woman alone, contracting, bleeding, and the baby's passed into the toilet. My heart bleeds both for the woman and for the baby. These COVID-related pills in the post concessions have been now in place for 18 months. They're, thought they're designed to be temporary, but there is much, much political pressure to make them permanent. Again, that's something we need to be aware of and keep our eye on and make our voice heard. So there are some facts, and I'm never, I never stop to be struck. I never stop being struck by them. But there are the facts I want to share with you. And you may be wondering how on earth did we get here? 800 a day, one in three women having had an abortion by the age they're 45. Where has it all gone wrong? Next slide. Well, you can probably see some of those things. I think all the above and more in the mix for discussion. I've illustrated like this, I've illustrated it like this, because it's complex and issues feed off each other. And there are forces behind the issues that just seem to keep the ball rolling. But just a few thoughts from me on some of these issues. Firstly, pressure. There can be an enormous amount of pressure on women to have an abortion. Pressure from friends and family, even when it's well-intentioned. Perhaps it's more perceived than real, but its effect is the same. Women feel pressure. Financial pressure, career pressure is the sensible thing to do kind of pressure. And most of this, us in this room are probably relatively well-off and resourceful. But many aren't. Think about the refugee community, for instance. Maybe here illegally, not entitled to benefits, dependent and at the mercy of the, of the will of men in their lives. They don't have a real choice. Here are some quotes from women who in the end decided not to have an abortion. I was scared and ashamed. I didn't feel as if I had any control or any choice. Lots of women who have abortions feel they never really had a choice. He said he'd leave unless I got rid of it. Or I had been bought from India for an arranged marriage. My problem started when I became pregnant and the scan revealed I was expecting a girl baby. Deep cultural factors, 
Imagine the pain. Does she really have a choice? So there's pressure. There's also a sense of panic when women find out they're pregnant unexpectedly. It's often the first response. Now, I haven't mercifully had an abortion, but there was a time when I thought I needed one. And it was just in the end that I wasn't pregnant. But I know that sense of panic. My parents would have been devastated. This wasn't planned. What about my career? I was a junior hospital doctor at the time. I hadn't got time for a pregnancy, and a quick abortion would get things back on track. I could get one easily. That was my thinking. That's often a woman's thinking. And if we ever find ourselves walking alongside someone who is unexpectedly pregnant, both pressure and panic will be very real. I've put Genesis 3 up there. The corruption caused by the fall, particularly the effect it has had on the relationship between men and women, is a problem. Men have far too often reneged on their responsibility to care for and protect women, particularly in the area of sexual intimacy and the commitment of marriage. And women too have failed to treat the opposite sex with the honour and respect they are due. The fall is at the root of all of this. And while misogyny has played a part, feminism has too. And these are impo- this is important concepts behind this for these times we're in now. There's been much that has been good about feminism. But feminism took a turn for the worse uh, when it sought to divide women from their bodies. In, the order- in order to succeed in the workplace, Women had to have control over childbirth. We had to be separated from our biology and our bodies. That, ladies and gentlemen, is to reduce us as women, to make us something less than we are. We are made as men and women in God's image to fill and subdue the earth. And there's something very profoundly perverse going on in our thinking these days. We were meant to have children. Now, that's not to undermine people like me who have been single and never had a child or to undermine the very wonderful things many women do, but something about having children, filling and subduing the earth is at the very heart of who we are. Then we have the Abortion Act. I don't expect the people, the 1967 Abortion Act written right across that ball, I don't expect the people who devised that act ever imagined we'd be in the situation we are in today. But it's played its part and it needs to be reformed, if not abolished. So we've looked briefly at some facts and figures. We've thought about some of the reasons why and seen that they're complex and multi-layered. They're cultural, legal, spiritual. Each one is personal. There's pastoral aspects to each and every abortion in those 210,000. But now we want, before we close, I want us to look at this passage in Colossians that I promised. Because it makes it clear that the Lord Jesus has got every aspect of this issue covered Andres has recorded it for us, I think. Colossians 1, 15-22 The supremacy of the Son of God The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. They are great, great, great verses. And this is a rich passage. There's so much in it, and we're only going to touch on a few things that it has to say. But if you've got Bibles open or phones, then it's perhaps worth your while getting it out now. That's Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. I'm going to be referring to the NIV if it makes a difference on your phones. This book of Colossians was written to people who were tempted to think that Jesus was not quite enough. He was not quite enough for salvation, and he was not quite enough for godly living. Extras were needed, things to do, ways to behave, guilt to carry. And this passage says, no, Jesus is enough, nothing else is needed. If you've got the NIV in front of you, then the strap line at the top um, usually refers to the supremacy of Christ. But it could also have been entitled the sufficiency of Christ. The two, though, are very connected. Because it's because Jesus is supreme that he is sufficient, that he can be all we could ever want or need, whatever our circumstances and as I want, look at these, uh, this passage, I'm just going to draw your attention to two uh, phrases or words that crop up here. And the first is the word, just three letters, all, sometimes linked with the word things, all or all things. I don't know if you man- ma- uh, noticed as Andres read it, but that phrase comes up eight times I counted in these few verses. Jesus created all things. There's nothing that Jesus didn't create in heaven or on earth. Verse 16. There is nothing he doesn't own. He's the heir of all things. That's what the term firstborn means in verse 15. And in verse 18, he's described as the firstborn from among the dead. The resurrected Jesus, the first to conquer death, inherits all things. And there is nothing he doesn't control. In him, all things hold together. Verse 17. And it's universal and cosmic. All things in heaven and on earth are in view. Thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. He is, after all, the image of the invisible God. Verse 15. 
in whom all the fullness of God dwells. Verse 19. All and all things. The second word I want us to notice is the word reconcile. Let's look at verses 19 to 20 again. I'll read them. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's making the point that Jesus' death reconciles everything. It has happened. It's done. And again, it's cosmic. Rulers, powers, authorities. Jesus died on the cross to achieve reconciliation for everything. Brothers and sisters, this is such good news when we look at the issue of abortion and think of those dynamics going on behind the scenes and in the world around us. There is peace, verse 20, through Jesus' death on the cross. Those underlying issues, those systemic evils behind the horror of abortion have been dealt with and peace made possible by Jesus' death and resurrection. We don't see it completely now, do we? And there are difficult times to be faced individually and as a society. But the future is sure. And it does mean that as we engage in various aspects of this issue, there is hope. So it's good news for us corporately in this passage. But if we read on, there's also good news for us individually as the assembly or as a member of the body of Christ in verse 21. Let me read. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now God has reconciled you, you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That word, but. On Tuesdays at back at church, I teach people how to teach the Bible and we always look out for those words, but, because it means there's a turning point in the argument. And uh, Paul is saying here, but now, listen here, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy without blemish and free from accusation. He knows everything about you. He has seen everything you have ever done. And he says, I love you enough to die for you. And you're perfect when you turn to him and ask for his mercy. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible resounds with this theme from beginning to end. There are some wonderful verses too in the book of Isaiah which are good for all of us to remember. They go like this. Come now, let's settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they should be like wool. And it's as if it's a courtroom scene. The judge is looking and saying the deal is done. Come now, let's settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And the Lord Jesus has made this possible through his death on the cross. He's amazing, isn't he? We're called to trust him 
He is supreme and he is sufficient and we're called to trust him in everything. Well, that's almost all I've got to say now this morning. But I want us to just round off things with one more thing. As we think of the Lord Jesus and remember that he came to earth, incarnate of the Virgin Mary, we sometimes say, don't we? He came as a fetus for us. 2,000 years ago, this was the Lord Jesus. Let's watch this video clip. <laughs> 